Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. I just got back from uh, a trip to Indiana and Kentucky, did a couple of uh, universities there and a couple of high schools. One was called uh, the University of Indiana Southeast and another, of course, the University of Louisville and then a couple of high schools as well. In fact, in the past couple of weeks, been at several schools, Baylor University down in Waco, had a great uh, group down there. And uh, then was at the University of Eastern Kentucky, then University of Indiana Southeast, and University of Louisville. And some questions always come up at these I-don't-have-enough-faith-to-be-an-atheist presentations on college campuses, as you can imagine. And I thought maybe what we would do today is look into some of those questions in a little bit more detail than you can do uh, right there, uh, you know, in in a— in a Q&A session, you know, you can't really spend, you know, half hour on a question or even 10 minutes on a question sometimes. you got to get to the point very quickly, and you can't go into a lot of depth. So maybe into the radio program, uh, program today, we'll get into it a little bit more depth on some of the questions that were asked. What were some of the questions? Well, I had a question about, don't commands change in the Bible, and doesn't that mean that God changes? Like, for example, you know, in the Old Testament, you had certain commands that no longer are necessary or commanded in the New Testament. You know, you've got different dietary laws in the old and the new. I mean, does, does this mean that God changes? Isn't God supposed to not change? And isn't morality supposed to be objective and absolute and the same for all genera- generations? So, you know, how do you, how do you answer that? Of course, killing of the Canaanites, that always comes up. Maybe we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, also, a question on morality. Cultures change what they believe about morality. I mean, we used to think that slavery was okay, and now we say slavery is not okay. So h- how can you say there's objective morality? We're coming to different conclusions in different generations, and if morality was object- uh, ob- objective, the, uh, the objection says, then you wouldn't have these different cultures coming to different conclusions about morality. Also got a question about the multiverse, because we talked a lot about the fine-tuning of the universe. And, you know, one of the supposed uh, answers to why the universe appears to be designed is, well, maybe it's just the luck of the draw. Maybe there are many universes out there, and our universe just happens to be the one that has these conditions, but that just happened by chance. I mean, there's no designer behind it, so we had that question. Also had a question about Islam. Like, how can you show that Islam is false? I mean, it's a great theistic religion. I mean, it's the second largest religion in the world. Are you going to say it's wrong? I mean, and how can you do that? Even had a question about Josephus, believe it or not. I don't know if we'll get to it today, but one question was, like, who was Josephus, the Jewish historian, and what does he tell us about Jesus? Of course, there are many other questions, but I thought we'd zero in on some of those questions today. And I want to mention there's uh, a number of other college events coming up next week, uh, February 15th, be at the University of Akron, Akron, Ohio. Uh, And then uh, the next day, uh, the 16th, which is a Friday, and uh, the 17th, the morning of the 17th, I'll be at Six Points Church in Sheridan, Indiana. We're also going to do I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. 
That's open to the public. By the way, Sheridan, Indiana is near Indianapolis. So if you're in that area, love to see you. Go to our website, crossexamined.org. Click on uh, click on events, and you'll see uh, the, the calendar there. Also, after that, at February 20th, I'll be at the University of Tennessee with the volunteers. And then the next night, uh, February 21st, I'll be at East Tennessee State University. Again, do we not have enough faith to be an atheist? And by the way, we're trying to stream all of these events now on Facebook Live. So you need to like our Facebook page, crossexamine.org. If you like that page, uh, chances are you'll in or you'll increase the chances that uh, the the feed will appear on your wall. Uh, I don't, you know, Facebook changes its algorithm all the time. We we can't really keep up as to how they do things. We've got you know 275,000 or 280,000 followers, but if we stream something, not at, not every one of those folks are going to see it. If you want to see it, though, and you know it's going to be on, all you need to do is go to our crossexamine.org Facebook page, and you can watch him streamed live. Also, they're archived, so you can go back. Like, if you want to see the University of Louisville one or the University of Eastern uh, or the University of Eastern Kentucky or Indiana or Baylor, you can just go back to those dates uh, on our Facebook page, and you can watch the entire event streaming. You can also fast-forward, if you want, right to the Q&A. Uh, if you want to see more of that. Uh, so like our Facebook page, crossexamine.org, if you want to get um, more reminders that we're streaming these college events live. And then the following uh, weekend, so let's see, two weekends from t- this weekend, I'll be out in uh, out in Washington State near Seattle, Maple Valley. It's Hope Fellowship in Maple Valley uh, for Saturday night, the 24th, and then the Sunday morning and Sunday evening services the 25th. So if you're out that way and uh, want to take in I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, love to see you there. All right, uh, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about some of these questions that you get. Uh, let's start with the first one. Don't commands change? And by the way, a little bit later in the program, uh, if we have time, we'll get into... Uh, some of your questions at 888-589-8840. We're live this morning, 888-589-8840. This is a good question uh, that may, may, may you might not have heard of before, but I think it's a very good question. I mean, you're going to say God doesn't change, and yet he's got these, say, dietary laws in the Old Testament, and uh, there's no dietary laws in the New Testament. Has God changed? I mean, what's the deal with that? In fact, the guy who asked that question the other night, I think it was at Louisville he asked this question, uh, he said... Um, well, actually, this was at a, this actually came at one of the high schools. Um, he 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 asked, "Well, wasn't polygamy okay in the Old Testament, and now it's not in the New?" Um, well, actually, no, polygamy was never okay in the Old Testament. Although God, um, in fact, says in Deuteronomy seventeen seventeen, "Do not multiply wives." Uh, so God was never pleased with polygamy. Uh, and everybody that was involved in a polygamous relationship had a lot of trouble in their lives. It was pretty obvious polygamy was not the way to go. And uh, so, no, polygamy was not approved in the Old Testament. Although you can say that in the Old Testament, the Old Testament law was not the ideal law for all time. The civil law of Israel was not the ideal law, and it's not the ideal law for civil governments today. It was, it was pretty much just for Israel in their theocracy. And Jesus even hints at that in Matthew chapter 19 when he talks about divorce, where he says 
that it was not supposed to be this way from the beginning, that God permitted divorce. He permitted it because of the hard hearts of the people. But that's not the ideal. So God's ideal isn't always expressed in the Old Testament law. But leaving that aside for a second, not everything described in the Bible is prescribed in the Bible. Yes, the Bible talks about polygamy, but that doesn't mean God is prescribing polygamy. God describes David's adultery, but that doesn't mean that God is prescribing adultery for all of us. And by the way, that's one of the ways I know that that uh, the New Testament and even the Old Testament are telling the truth when it comes to what they say about these moral issues, because it's very embarrassing to see some of the supposed heroes of the Bible engaging in such awful behavior. And the Old Testament writers, the New Testament writers, they don't try to sugarcoat this. They just tell the truth. Now, they never would have invented uh, these embarrassing behavioral lapses that the supposed heroes of the Bible have. They never would have invented them. You don't invent details or behaviors that make you look bad if you're making up a story. You might report them as true if they really happen, but you'd never invent them. Who's going to invent that David was an adulterer, a liar, and a murderer? They wouldn't. They're just describing what happened. But they're not prescribing those behaviors for the rest of us. David suffered dearly for his sins, which is a lesson to us. In fact, Paul even says that in, um, I think it's 2 Corinthians, where he says uh, these Old Testament stories were really lessons to us. And uh, take heart that uh, those lessons are there so we can learn from them. All right, I'm Frank Turk. we got a lot more to talk about. Don't go away. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turk and the American Family Radio Network back in two. If you like trips where you have to plan everything, then uh, maybe our tour is not for you. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman with American Family Association and American Family Radio. Of course, I'm talking about our spiritual heritage tours of Washington, D.C., Mount Vernon, and then a separate trip to Williamsburg, Virginia. And guess what? We take care of everything. All you have to do is, as they say, show up. But we take these spiritual heritage tours twice a year, once in June and once in September. Stephen McDowell of the Providence Foundation, who is a historian, will be joining us for both tours. And he will tell you everything you need to know about the places, the times, the events, that we will experience on these tours of Washington, D.C. and Williamsburg. For all the information, just go to the website spiritualheritagetours.com. That's spiritualheritagetours.com for everything. A Moment of Truth with Gary Bryden, Executive Director of the Association of Independent Methodists. Born on February 22, 1732, George Washington became the right man in the right place at the right time to help give birth to the greatest experiment in freedom in the history of modern nations. Others like him help us to see that God governs in the affairs of men. It was Washington who filed into Valley Forge with his troops at the beginning of the winter of 1777 and 1778. As he passed his troops, they realized that He was there to lead them and suffer with them. He could see that many were barefoot, that some were leaving bloody footprints in the snow, but that all were ready to fight for freedom and for independence. 
the Association of Independent Methodists, like-minded congregations doing together what can't be done separately. Visit aim2020.com. Do God's commands change? And if that's so, does that mean that God changes? You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek and the American Family Radio Network. Our website, crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it, .org. We're live this morning at 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840. A little bit later in the program, if you have a question, we'll go to it. If not, we're answering questions that I just got recently at a bunch of college events. And as I say, got a bunch of others coming up. Uh, University of Akron, University of Tennessee, University of East Tennessee. Then next month, we got Vanderbilt. We got Murray State. We got University of North Carolina at Wilmington. Uh, we got a few others, so uh, keep an eye on the uh, on the app, the Cross-Examined app, two words in the App Store, Cross-Examined, and also the website. And as I mentioned, we stream these events, as many as we can, on Facebook Live, so you got to like these Facebook pages, uh, our Facebook page, crossexamined.org and Dr. Frank Turek. Uh, and uh, also want to mention that CIA is coming up again, the Cross-Examined Instructor Academy, our 11th CIA It'll occur again in Dallas, Texas in August. We're having it in Dallas in August because hell was booked. No, because it's the center of the country, and there's a great church down there that hosts us. Uh, Teren Danes is uh, the pastor down there. Just a wonderful place, wonderful staff. We're really looking forward to doing it down there again in Dallas. It'll be our second year down in Dallas. It's in August, but you got to start applying now. And before that, for those of you that have graduated CIA – or have significant apologetic experience. We're doing advanced CIA. Yes, that's right. Advanced CIA in Charlotte, North Carolina, in about three months in May. May, I think it's May 3 to 5, if I'm not mistaken. i got to look at my calendar. But uh, yeah, somewhere in the first first week of May, the Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Again, you got to apply for that as well. Go to crossexamine.org and uh, click on events, and you should see it there. We got a CIA and advanced CIA. We've had people come back to CIA five, six, seven times. What they're doing is they're learning how to present. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, and how to answer questions effectively. How to be better apologists, better question answers, better ambassadors. And as you know, myself, Greg Kokel, Jay Warner Wallace, Sean McDowell, Brett Kunkel, uh, Bobby Conway. These are the kind of people we have uh, teaching. And also this year, we're going to have Natasha Crane as well. You guys might know about Natasha. Uh, Natasha has a great ministry, mostly to moms, and uh, she's written some several uh, several books, and she's going to be one of our instructors as well. So check all that out on our website, crossexamine.org. Now let's go back to this question about God changing his commands, and what does that say? Um, in the Old Testament, let's just say, we already pointed out that just because something's described in the Old Testament or even in the New Testament doesn't mean it's prescribed. There's a lot of descriptions that aren't prescriptions, but secondly... Commands do, do appear to change. Like, for example, the, the dietary laws have changed. You had dietary laws in the Old Testament for ancient Israel, but in the New Testament, no, those laws aren't necessary anymore. Jesus does away, away with them. He says it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean. It's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. And he talks about sexual immorality and theft and all these things that, are, that come out of us. Now, why would God change his commands? Aren't commands, isn't morality unchangeable? Isn't it absolute and objective in all these things? Well, the truth of the matter is, yes, morality is 
objective and unchangeable, but commands can change all the time. Wait a minute, aren't those two the same things? No, no, they're not. Why? Because morality deals with the value underneath the command. And sometimes commands can change based on the situation. In the Old Testament, the value underneath the command of don't eat certain kinds of food, the value was be holy. In other words, be separate from other nations. That was the, that was the reason the command was given. So the, the, the value under the command is be holy. But the command itself, don't eat certain foods or don't wear certain clothing or don't do certain things, that command can change based on the circumstances. Because if you go to the New Testament, um, when God says you can eat all things, he changes the command, the value is still be holy. Remember, he's saying what comes out of you makes you unholy, not what goes into you makes you unholy. So the value hasn't changed, be holy, but the command does change. And we know this, by the way, as uh, parents. For example, when your kids are very young, you say to them, stay out of the street because you value their lives. You don't want them to get hurt. But once they get older, you say, get out in the street and get a job, right? The command has changed. In fact, the command is opposite, but the value is the same. The value is you love your child and you want your what's best for your child and you want your, your, your child to be productive. So you say, get out in the street and go find a job. And the circumstances have changed. Young people can't handle being in the street. They're going to hurt themselves. Older people have to handle being in the street because that's where life is done. You got to get out in public and you got to get a job and and uh, and support yourself. So, so the value is the same. The command changes. So commands change all the time, but the underlying values don't. Now, what about this this question I got? A uh, question from a student that said. Well, cultures change what they believe about morality. So how can you say morality is objective? Like, for example, you know, 150 years ago, we had to have a war to get rid of slavery. Apparently, a lot of people thought slavery was okay. Now in America, not many people do, thankfully. Hasn't the value or hasn't morality changed? No, this is a confusion between sociology and morality or how people behave and how they ought to behave, if you want to put it that way. How people behave, and even what they think about morality may change. But that doesn't prove there's no objective morality. I mean, if so, you would have to say that you know, one, at, for a while, at least some people thought the earth was flat. But that, but that didn't mean there was no, that the, that the earth really was flat. It doesn't mean that reality has changed. It means their perception of reality has changed. Because now we know that the earth is not flat. So... The perception may change, but not the objective fact that's being perceived. So at one point, yeah, people may have thought slavery was okay. Their perception and their behavior was different than it is now. But that doesn't mean the truth that slavery is immoral, the kind of slavery we had here in the, uh, in the, uh, in the Americas 150 years ago. Uh, it's different, by the way, than the kind of slavery you hear about in the Old Testament, but that's a whole other question. Um, that doesn't mean that, that's, that the morality of slavery has changed. It just means our perception about the morality of slavery has changed. And the, the moral argument does not say that everybody has to agree on morality. 
in order for there to be objective morality. No more than people have to agree that the earth is round for the earth to be round. So the perception doesn't affect the reality. And uh, the objective, or, or I should say the, the argument that God is the standard of objective morality, doesn't require every human being to agree on every moral issue. In fact, William Lane Craig gives a, a, a good kind of thought experiment on this. He said, suppose the Nazis had won World War II and took over Europe and convinced everybody in Europe that murdering Jews, homosexuals, and gypsies was right. Would that make it right? No. Even if everybody in Europe thought it was right, that wouldn't make it right. What people think about morality doesn't determine whether something is moral or immoral. The morality of a particular behavior is dependent on whether or not it aligns with the objective nature or the, the objective goodness of God's nature. God's nature is the standard of morality. Any deviation from that would be what we would call evil or immorality. If God's nature doesn't exist, then there is no objective morality. Everything's just a matter of opinion. You couldn't say Hitler was really wrong unless there was a standard beyond both Hitler and you to say your view of morality is closer to the true view than is Hitler's. There's got to be an objective standard, an objective standard beyond humanity. So cultures may change what they believe about morality, but that doesn't do anything. That doesn't put a dent at all in the moral argument for the existence of God. Of course, C.S. Lewis would argue, and I think rightfully so, in the book Abolition of Man, that cultures really at their core don't disagree about morality. They may disagree on some of the details, but they don't disagree on the essentials, on the core of it. Like I think Lewis, if I remember correctly, gives an example like this. He says, you will never find a culture where people think that double-crossing those kindest to you is a good thing to do. You will never find a culture where it's more laudable to run away in battle than to stand and fight for what's right. You'll never find a culture that has these inverted values where vice is considered virtue and virtue is considered vice. Um, he says you might as well imagine a place where 2 plus 2 equals 5. Now, even if Lewis is wrong about that, the point still stands that even if all human beings disagreed, even if y'all, or let me put it this way, if all human beings agreed that murdering Jews was a good thing, it would still be an evil thing. So the, the argument does not depend on human agreement. It just depends on the fact that goodness exists, and any deviation from goodness is what we call evil. And this is another problem that you hear when it comes to morality. Atheists often try and explain morality by Darwinism. You know, they'll say, well, evolution can explain why we have certain moral sentiments, and it can explain morality. Now, there are several responses to this, and maybe one of the key ones is, Moral laws are not chemical or biological. In other words, how does a mutating genetic code, even if macroevolution were true, let's just say for the sake of argument it is true. I, I don't grant that. I'm just saying let's just say for the sake of argument it is true. How, how does a mutating genetic code have the capacity to tell you as a human being how you ought to behave? Does, 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 does a biological process 
have authority to tell you how you ought to behave? How do you get this ought from this mutating genetic code? It's the old is-ought fallacy uh, when it comes to this particular claim that somehow a mutating genetic code has the capacity to tell you what to do and the authority to tell you what to do. Look, chemistry and biology are descriptive. They're not prescriptive. Evolution describes what does survive. It doesn't tell you what ought to survive. I mean, and, and if it does, what, why human beings? Why should human beings survive? Why not roaches or rabbits or something else? Why are we saying that we are a higher level than them? And in fact, there are many other uh, responses to this we'll get to after the break. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network, our website, crossexamined.org. And our phone number today, a little bit later in the program, we'll get to your phone calls at 888-589-8840. 888 if you want to join the program. We're back in just two. Don't go away. John Stone Street tells the story of a woman who accused Dr. Larry Nasser of sexually abusing her as a young gymnast. She defined what he did as sin, calling him a man ruled by selfish and perverted desires, no matter what it cost others. She hoped he would experience crushing guilt and then find God's mercy through forgiveness in Christ. The doctor's sin was horrifying, but so is ours. May we protect as a society the vulnerable, punish the evildoer, and offer the same mercy God offers us. I'm Pastor John Miller. Visit me at churchontherock.org. This is Tim Armstrong from the Worthy Walk radio program. I encourage you to listen as we work verse by verse through the scriptures each Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Central Time here on American Family Radio. Join me as we explore the Word of God and learn to apply its truths to our lives each day. The Worthy Walk radio program, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Central Time on American Family Radio. Back to Genesis with Dr. John Morris, scientist and creation researcher with the Institute for Creation Research. Dr. Morris, where do comets come from? Chris, comets pose a very difficult problem for long-age evolution. Many of these comets are short-lived. They last only a few trips around the sun, but yet our solar system is full of comets. Therefore, it can't be very old. Evolutionists have proposed a hypothetical source of comets called the Kuiper Belt. Photographs from the Hubble telescope seem to support the claim. Unfortunately, recent studies of these same photos declare that the Kuiper Belt has not been found. There is no source of comets which would keep our solar system supplied with them. The Bible says that the entire universe was created in Creation Week, along with everything else. It's not billions of years old, and the evidence that we see supports this. Everything goes back to Genesis, and so it should. Thanks, Dr. Morris. For more on creation, visit our website at www.icr.org. If you're low on the FM dial looking for NPR, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network website, crossexamine.org. Cross-Examine with the end of it, .org. And uh, we're answering questions today, some of the questions I've been getting recently on college campuses, many other college events coming up uh, next week, University of Akron, week after that, University of Tennessee, University of East Tennessee, or East Tennessee State University, I should say. So check out our website for more. We also stream those events live on Facebook, the Cross-Examine Facebook page, so you want to like those. 
And uh, got CIA coming up again, Cross-Examine Instructor Academy. Lots going on, friends. you got to go to crossexamine.org to learn more about it and how you can be a part. We need more people all over the country, all over the world, teaching the truth of Christianity. So we want you to join us if you feel led to do so and have some skills in the area. That's why we do these events. That's why we do Cross-Examine Instructor Academy and Advanced CIA coming up in May. Uh, So check all that out. And don't forget the TV program. The TV program is on every Wednesday night. It's on DirecTV Channel 378, the NRB Network. If you don't have DirecTV, it's on Roku, R-O-K-U. And uh, that's NRB. I guess when you're on Roku, I don't have Roku. But if you go to Roku, you look, look for NRB for National Religious Broadcasters. You'll find it there. If you don't have Roku, you don't have DirecTV, uh, it's on this new te- technology sweeping America right now. It's called the Internet. Have you heard of this? Yeah, it's on our website, crossexamine.org. Go to crossexamine.org at 9 p.m. Eastern, 1 a.m. Eastern on Wednesday nights if you're an insomniac. And you can watch I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist streaming live. In fact, uh, right now we're uh, in the middle of a debate with Michael Shermer on the program. So uh, you might want to check all that out and... Uh, Go to our website, crossexamine.org, for more. All right, let's talk more about this idea that Darwinism can give you uh, morality. Uh, well, even if that were true, let's just say it were true that Darwinism is true, um, and it gives you your moral sentiments. So what? <laughs> moral sentiments aren't moral obligations or moral commands. Just because you think that, say, love is good and, and hate is bad, that doesn't mean you're obligated to love and you're, you're prohibited from hating. There's no command in, in, in evolution. I mean, obviously, we all agree that we should pursue good and shun evil. But if macroevolution's true, if materialism's true, if only materials exist, then good doesn't exist. Good itself doesn't exist. How are we supposed to... How are we supposed to pursue good if good itself doesn't exist? I mean, what is the chemical composition of justice? How many molecules are in love? How much carbon is in the righteousness molecule? You go, Frank, these are stupid questions. Yeah, they are. They're they're what we call category mistakes. Because we're asking material questions or questions about molecules, about immaterial entities. Justice, love, righteousness, they are not material things. But if atheism is true, materialism is true, then all that exists are materials. You know what that means? That goodness, that justice, and love don't exist. See, that's the problem. And if we're going to say that materialism is true, that we're just molecular machines, That every thought we have is the result of the laws of physics because there's nothing beyond the physical. There's nothing metaphysical, which means beyond the physical. Everything is just made of molecules, and everything is just about molecules bumping into one another. Every thought you have, every feeling you have, is just the result of molecules bumping into each other, completely caused by the laws of physics. If that is true then goodness, justice, and love don't exist. And there are no obligations because obligations come from people or entities or persons that can have the authority to make you obligated. Laws come from lawgivers. They don't come from molecules bumping into one another. They are beyond the physical. They are metaphysical. And now, 
if if you're an atheist and you deny medical uh, metaphysical things exist, then you're using metaphysical things such as the laws of logic to deny the existence of those metaphysical things. It's a self-defeating proposition. This is the core, in my view, this is the core problem or one of the core problems with atheism. They've made it impossible not only to have objective morality, they've made it impossible to even reason if their viewpoint is true. Why should you believe certain things are good or bad if the reason you think certain things are good or bad are completely caused by the laws of physics? I mean, why should you believe? Why should you believe your moral sentiments if, if, if atheism is true, if materialism is true? Why should you believe anything? Why should you believe any thought? You shouldn't. Because if, if materialism is true and Darwinism has given us our moral sentiments, that means Darwinism has given us every thought, not just our moral sentiments, but our thoughts even that Darwinism is true, that atheism is true, that our moral sentiments have come from Darwinism. I know this can give you intellectual constipation if you think about it long enough, but that's because we're dealing in self-defeating Illogical assertions. So, what we need to point out is there is a metaphysical realm, and that metaphysical realm is best explained by God. There is something out there called goodness, and that that goodness is what we mean by God's nature. And to pursue the good is what we ought to do. But again, there are no oughts if everything is just made of molecules. The other issue that is often confused on uh, moral questions. Typically when atheists or skeptics uh, challenge the moral argument for the existence of God, they'll say, well, I know morality. I don't need God to know morality. Or I can be a good person. I don't need God to be a good person. To which we can respond, well, that's true. You could know morality and you could uh, be a good person if God doesn't exist. But the problem is you can't justify morality. You can't justify why being good is something you ought to do. You can't even justify what good is. Now, if I want to be technical about this, I would say, no, you couldn't even know morality without God. What do I mean by that? Because, again, you couldn't know anything unless you had the free will to arrive at a conclusion. And that free will only exists if materialism's false but I don't want to confuse matters on this. Generally, you can say, oh, sure, I'm not saying you don't know morality. I'm not saying you can't be a good person. What I'm saying is you can't justify what good is. This is not an epistemological question. It's not how you know right from wrong that we're, we're arguing about or that, the, or that the moral argument is premised upon. It's not how you know torturing babies for fun is wrong. That's not the argument. The argument is why is torturing babies for fun wrong? What's the ontological basis for that? Meaning being. Why does goodness exist at all if we're just molecules in motion? Not how do you know goodness, but why does it exist at all? Well, they say torturing babies for fun is wrong. It's because it harms people. Well, you're just restating the problem another way. Why is it wrong to harm people? Who said? Why is harm bad and say helping somebody good? Why? According to who? According to what standard? Your own standard? If there is no God, then nothing is ultimately right or wrong. Everything's merely a matter of opinion. Your opinion against Hitler's opinion. Your opinion against a baby torturer's opinion. Your opinion against ISIS's opinion. 
your opinion against against a racist opinion, opinion or a sexist opinion. So we're trying to get at why certain things exist when the atheists are trying to talk about, well, how we know them. Well, that's a good question. How do we know them? We can argue over that, but that's not the question. The question isn't how you know it. The question is why does the thing that we're talking about exist? I mean, I can know what a book says and deny there's an author, but there would be no book to know unless there was an author. And atheists are saying, I can know right and wrong and deny God exists. Yeah, you could, you could, you could say that. But there would be no right and wrong to know unless God did exist. That's the point. Because biology may have biological, or I should say, because morality may have biological worth, like it helps us survive, that doesn't mean it's objective. Why is it objectively good to survive? Who said? And why us surviving and not roaches? Also, if evolution were true, that would mean morals definitely would change. Not just sociology, not just how people behave, but how they should behave. Why? Well, if we're supposed to survive, if I'm supposed to pass on my genes, well, maybe, maybe we should rape to survive because that'll pass on our genes. And as soon as you say, no, 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 you can't rape to survive because that would harm somebody else, now you're importing again a moral law. Why would that be wrong? If survival is our goal then shouldn't we do everything to survive? This is exactly what Hitler did, by the way. He said, we want to create the super race. In order to create the super race, we're going to have to weed out the weaker people who are taking resources from the super race. And that's what he tried to do. He tried to get rid of the Jews and the gypsies and the homosexuals and all these people he deemed weaker and taking resources from the uber race, the super race, If you don't have a moral standard outside that system, you can't say that's wrong. I mean, should we murder the weak to help others survive? That's what Hitler did. Evolution is like the worst kind of... In fact, Richard Dawkins, to his credit, you know, the the great evolutionist or the, 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 the top atheist in the world today in terms of notoriety... He says, I am, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't have the quote in front of me, but he, has some, he says something like, I am passionately anti-Darwinian in my morality. Because he knows survival of the fittest, well, gee, that could, you know, that could, uh, that could lead to Hitler. But he's got nowhere to go. I mean, <laughs> if there's no God, everything, again, is just a matter of opinion. You say, well, we've got to cooperate to survive. First of all, again, why are you saying survival is a good thing? without importing a moral law. And no, you don't actually have to cooperate to survive. Take someone like Stalin. He didn't cooperate with many people. He killed 20 million of his own people. He he killed them, took their stuff, and lived very comfortably until the day he died. He just had some henchmen around him to protect him. He didn't have to cooperate with anybody beyond that inner circle. You don't have to cooperate to survive. And again, that, that assumes survival is a good thing. Who said? So... None of this, none of these atheistic arguments for morality work, whether it's citing Darwinism or it's citing, uh, you know, you can know morality and you can, you can be a good person without God. That, that's, that's completely off the topic. The topic is how do we justify that goodness and righteousness and justice exist? And that we, as human beings, ought to behave in a certain way. Because there's got to be a standard beyond us. Otherwise, none of those things would exist. 
Now we can talk a lot more. We've got other questions we'll get to, but I also want to get to questions from you. 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840. We're live this morning. You're listening to Cross Examined with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. We've got some college events and other events coming up. Check our website out, crossexamined.org, for more. And we're back in two. Don't go away. All the religions of the world focus basically on man's efforts to reach God or to please God by accomplishing a set of tasks or by doing good things. All the world religions, that is, except one. Jesus Christ came to live the perfect life that, frankly, you and I are just not capable of living. And as perfect as Jesus was, he willingly died to pay the price for the sinful life that you and I have lived. That makes Jesus inescapably unique in the world, in all religions. It is not about religion with Jesus anyway. Did you get that? It's not about religion with Jesus. It's about your relationship with him. To find out more about how you can receive the forgiveness of Christ provided only by friendship, by relationship with Jesus. Call us now at 888-NEED-HIM or go to chataboutjesus.com. This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, president of Life Issues Institute. Donald Clyde Willis is a Bakersfield, California abortionist with a reputation for botching procedures. Last year, he sent six women to the hospital, one maimed so badly she will never be able to bear children. Women of California were temporarily spared when Willis was reportedly involved in an accident that broke his arm. But less than a week after returning to his deadly craft, the abortionist battered another woman. She was injured during a late-term abortion procedure and rushed to a hospital for emergency surgery, where doctors spent two hours repairing the damage. She required two pints of blood, and sadly, the baby was delivered dead. Legal abortion kills innocent babies and victimizes women. It must be stopped. Follow us on Twitter at Life Issues USA and stay informed, more informed than you've ever been. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Frank Turek with you. Not really feeling that well today. Don't think I have the flu, but just not completely up to par. Been on the road a lot. In fact, the past few days I've presented, I think, six hours each day. So maybe I'm a little hoarse because of that. I don't know, but um, I'm not as chipper as I normally am. Sorry about that, friends, but hopefully I'll recover. Tomorrow I'm going to be speaking at Bethlehem Church in Gastonia, North Carolina. That's a home game for me. I live in Charlotte. That's right, just west of Charlotte. I'll be speaking there in the morning services, and then we're going to do an evening. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, so uh, check that out. And by the way, those of you who are in the North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina area, we do film our TV show at a men's Bible study up at uh, Grace Covenant Church in Cornelius, North Carolina. Uh, men are welcome. It's a men's Bible study. And uh, if you want to be a part of that, just check our website, crossexamine.org, for those events, and you can come and watch how we do the TV show, how we film it, and we have a discussion with the men there. Uh, and uh, right now, I think on Monday, this Monday night, we're going to be talking about the anger of Jesus. What? Jesus angry? Yeah. I think you need to read the text a little bit closer. He's angry quite a bit. In fact, maybe we'll do a radio program on that soon. All right, let me go to your uh, questions. So you guys have been waiting a little while. 
Let me go to Levi in Indiana. Now, Levi, we had a question from somebody named Levi the other night. I think it was at Louisville. Was that you? That was not me. Levi. I'm in Lafayette, Indiana. Oh, you're in Lafayette. Okay. You, were, you weren't you were at the event. But we had a Levi the other night. Well, you're, you're, uh, you're up, sir. Go right ahead. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm sorry to hear you're not feeling well. I sure hope you get feeling better. I love the program. It's a great blessing to me. I'm going to try to make this quick so you can get to other callers. Well, it's not sure, what I called ahead, to man. talk about. Thank you. I, I just wanted to comment because you had mentioned how, um, you know, we used to think the earth was flat and things have changed a little bit now. And this, Again, this isn't my question, but I just wanted to say uh, I, I encourage you and others to look more into it. I know it sounds silly, but I am somebody who does believe that the Bible supports a flat and closed cosmology, and um, I think they do a good job um, with deception and keeping people from looking into that. But I'll get to my question. I wanted to talk well, hang about... On, hang um, on, Levi. Are you tell, Levi, are you telling me you think the Earth is flat? And I, 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 I thought it was... Is that what you're saying? Really? Do. And, and huh? Trust me, Frank. I know it sounds silly. I thought the same as It you. is, Levi. Levi, you. please. Come on. We know it's not flat. I mean, look... <laughs> well, why would you think... Well, I... Sorry, go on to your question. Well, it's not even going to be worth going into that. But go ahead. What, what's your question? I know I think differently. You just look into it. Um, but take that for whatever it is. I understand it. So my question is about the law and mm-hmm. you know, food and stuff and God not changing. Um, I just wanted to... I'm, I'm losing... Uh... Brent, yeah, I've got a bad connection. I think I know what the gist of his... Thanks for the call, Levi. I think I know the gist of his question. I think he was trying to say that God came to... Or Jesus came to fulfill the law, which he did. That's what he says. Um, But that doesn't mean commands don't change. Commands can still change, even though uh, God has... Or Christ has fulfilled the law. He has. He lived the law perfectly, and that's why when we put our trust in him, we not only are forgiven for what uh, we've done, we're given what he's done. So we're given his righteousness. But commands change, but the value underneath the command doesn't change. Just like the example I gave earlier. I mean, when you tell your kid when he's very young or she's very young, stay out of the street, the value underneath the command is love. You're trying to protect your child. When they grow up, you say, get out in the street and get a job. The value is the same. You'll love your child. But the command is 100% or 180 degrees opposite, I should say. It's it's different. It's saying, now go out in the street. Get out there because you know that's the right thing to do. So commands can change based on the circumstances, but commands from God commands from God can change. But the value underneath the command doesn't change because God doesn't change. His, his nature is the same. All right, 888-589-8840, 888 Todd. And are you in Louisiana, Todd? Yes, I am. I'll be down in Shreveport the beginning of March. So I don't know if you're near Shreveport or not, but go ahead. Go right ahead, sir. I'm in that mood. Okay. Um, I want to talk to you, Frank, about I've been reading scripture for a while. And um, everybody in the world believes in God, but everybody don't believe in Jesus. As we look into religions around the world, they believe in God. But when you say Jesus, it's a whole different ballgame. And 
if we don't believe that John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to me except through Jesus Christ. And uh, we got to get Jesus right. And everybody believes in God, but we need Jesus. And I'm going to hang up on this to you, brother. Amen. Oh, yeah. Oh, thanks, Todd. Yeah, I, I, obviously, I don't disagree with you at all. Everybody at some point knows there's a creator. This is even what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. Now, you may suppress that truth long enough that at some point you really are sure there is no God. Um, but at least initially, when you understand that there is a creation, you know there has to be a creator. Uh, and so everybody intuitively understands there's a creator. There's also a moral creator because we have a moral law written on our hearts. But not everybody knows about Jesus. And in fact, this was a question we got from a high school kid the other day. A good question. You know, what about those that have never heard? And I don't have time to go into all the details of that. But let me just say this, that Jesus is the only way to salvation because the only way to, to for God to be just and allow unjust people to go unpunished as if he punishes an innocent substitute in their place. And that's what he does. He punishes himself, basically. He punishes himself in human form, who comes and lives a perfect life in our place. So God remains just, and he's also the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is Romans uh, 3.26. But the question is... uh, the question isn't, well, uh, gee, you know, you get older, you start to lose your train of, uh, train of, uh, yeah, thought, thanks. The question shouldn't be, why is Jesus the only way? Because philosophically, it makes sense. The question should be, well, and, th- and it is when people say, what about those who've never heard is, well, what about those out there who have never heard? It doesn't appear like they have an opportunity to experience God's love and forgiveness. Now, this is really a moral question when you think about it. It's, it's somehow saying that God would somehow be immoral for not getting his word to everybody. Now, there are several responses to this. One response put forth by C.S. Lewis was like, well, while Jesus is the only way, um, you could probably still be... a believe in Christ, or you you could still be saved even if you don't know Christ's name, like the Old Testament saints. I don't think that's the right view. I think the New Testament says that you have to know his name, Um, because it's possible that could be true, just like it was in the Old Testament, but the New Testament seems to say you need to know the name. Well, if you need to know the name, then we got to get the name to everybody. we got to make sure everyone has the name. And um, in some countries, like closed Muslim countries, Jesus is appearing in dreams and visions to people who can't get the word the other way. But it could be solved, the entire problem could be solved if this is true. We know that there are people who hear about Jesus who reject him. It could be that those who never hear about Jesus wouldn't have accepted him anyway. This is what Paul seems to indicate in uh, uh, as a possibility in Acts 17. In Acts 17, when he's talking to the Athenians, these are people who uh, who are not believers, obviously. They're pagans. Uh, he actually points out that, well, he says this. Let me just read it. He says, from one man, God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and that he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek and find him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far 
from each one of us. God did this so that men would seek him. He put them in exact places where they should live. So it might be that God has so prearranged the world that those who hear the gospel, um, some will believe and some won't. And those that don't hear the gospel wouldn't have believed it anyway. Obviously, at the end of the day, since God is just, nobody is going to be treated unfairly in the afterlife. God is loving. He wants people to be saved more than we do. So God is going to get them the message either through us or by his own means. But our job is to get them the message at all costs. We know how people are saved. We definitely know how they are saved. We may not quite know how they're not, but we know how they are. So we risk people or we risk all to get people the gospel. That's what we do. Now, uh, Thomas, I only have one minute. This is the last call. Uh, I only got one minute, Tom, so you got to get to it quickly. What, what's the issue? Oh, I Go right ahead, to Thomas. Know, uh, what, I want to know in Revelations, what did that mean when John saw, say he saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth holding the four winds? Well, I wish I had the answer to that off the top of my head, Thomas. Great question, but I don't. I'd have to look up the context and see. But the four corners of the earth, if you're suggesting that that means the earth is flat, um, that's just an expression. We use that expression now. And we use sunrise and sunset now. But we know that the sun isn't really rising and it's not really setting. We're rotating. Why? Because the Bible is written from an observational perspective. It's not written from a, a, a scientific, philosophical perspective. It's written from an observational perspective. And even today, weathermen say sunrise and sunset, even though we know that's not really what's happening. We don't say, you know, that he's going to say uh, tomorrow, sunrise, 722. He's not going to say earth rotation will become apparent at 722. So I think we, we've got we've to let the text um, speak the way we normally speak because that's how the Bible is. It's written from an observational perspective. But I can't even believe we're talking. I can't believe. I'm sorry. You people out there believe the earth's flat? Wake up, okay? This is just silly. There's so much evidence that it's not that I don't even – it's – it's it's. well, I'm not even going to say anymore. It's just crazy. <laughs> anyway, come on, people. All right, you're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turk. Don't forget, University of Akron on the 15th, Six Points Church, Sheridan, Indiana, the 16th and the 17th near Indianapolis, and then University of Tennessee, East Tennessee State next week. See you next week. God bless. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.